Students Who Design is a podcast and video series that bridges students and the design industry. By students, for students. Be sure to check out our website, studentswho.design. This is Students Who Design. Today we'll be talking to Catherine Legros, who studies interaction design at Emily Carr University and was a product design intern at Google. This episode covers the benefits of taking a gap year and what to do during that time, creating your own design education, and so much more. We hope you enjoy this episode. Students Who Design is sponsored in part by Facebook Design. For more resources and information on designing at Facebook, visit facebook.design and check out open roles at facebook.com careers. Hi, Catherine. First off, Hi. we'd like to introduce what school you go to, your major, and mm -hmm. what you're up to now. Yeah, cool. Uh, I study interaction design at Emily Carr University in Vancouver, mm -hmm. Canada. I'm from Montreal, though, and I currently work at Google as a UX design intern. So how did you get into product design? So I come from an entrepreneurship background. And you study entrepreneurship, or? No, I just okay. started a business at a fairly young age. So at 17, I started my first business. And what was that um, That was a residential painting company where I would uh, hire college students to paint people's house, and I would sell contracts to so homeowners. So you're a high schooler hiring college students. Yeah, that was, paint. exactly, and about <laughs> 20 a year. So it got pretty big. Um, it was super interesting, it was really cool. And that's where I discovered that my strength in business, why it was going well, was because I was very people-oriented, mm -hmm. always trying to optimize the experience, even though it was not digital, yeah. of my clients, of my employees. So I knew that was my focus. Um, and then I got, because I like business, I really like tech businesses, and I really wanted to kind of get into that, and I realized that you needed to have somewhat of a tech background to do that. Mm -hmm. uh, and it just made sense for me to, to pursue UX, because it, it was just naturally kind of working with my strengths. So this is like right after you graduated high school, you had started this business, yeah. and you got more interested in tech. Exactly, okay. after a couple years of running business. So after okay. two years, during my last year of running that business, I was really thinking about tech about what could be my next move to get into that a little bit more. Hmm. Yeah. But still from the business side of things, not necessarily, I was not that focused on design. Uh -huh. It was kind of a secondary thing to get me into it. Okay. Yeah. And did you go to college after high school? No. So that's the thing. I actually did, and I dropped out because I had the business and The things, same painting business. Yeah, because of the, the business made me drop out. So the first year I was doing both at the same time, and it was going fairly well, but okay. I felt like School was just not moving fast enough for and me. Which school was this at that? At that um, was it still Emily Carr? No, no, no. It was in, in Quebec, so in Montreal. Uh -huh. um, between high school and university, there's this two-year kind of college that everyone has to go through. That is okay. not, you're not studying something specific. It's still very broad, mm -hmm. and it's very slow, and it's, um, it's, it's, it doesn't feel like university at all. So it felt for me like it was moving slow, and my company, I was learning so much through that, so I decided to just skip the pre-college, they call it, and just wait for university and do whatever I could in those years in between. Yeah. OK. Yeah. So you dropped out. You I dropped continued out. the painting business. Yeah, and exactly. then what happened? And then after the, on the third year, I actually uh, joined. I had my partner. My friend, was uh, he joined me in the company. So we managed it together the third year, and we realized that we were really great at doing that together. Mm -hmm. uh, and he was starting to learn to code. He was also really interested in tech. Um, so he was about to start business school that fall. And at the end of the summer, I convinced him to, I'm a horrible influence. I convinced him to drop out of business school before starting and to start, a, start up with me because we were both interested in tech and we we're like, maybe that's the fastest way to learn. So you 
So what happened in the painting business if you told for wait, if you told a guy to drop out of business school? Yeah. While you just start like finished up the painting business? Yeah, well or? we were it was the end of the season. End so at the season, end of okay. the summer, I mean uh, college students that were employing, oh. they go back to their job and we've done all the all the jobs that we've sold, they're done. So you so. convinced someone to drop out of business school to start a startup? Yeah. Related to uh, what kind of startup was it? We didn't have an idea yet. So it was just for the sake of starting a startup. Yeah, and in Asia. So that was the plan was we're going to go to, that was my plan initially. And I was like, it would be great if you, if you joined me. And he, was, he had the, the tech side. I had the design side that I was kind of, kind of starting to, to learn. So you, um, you just picked a random continent in, in the, the world, like Asia? We, we had been to Asia together, actually, okay. uh, traveling. And when we went to Asia, we saw that there were co-working spaces and that there were uh, a lot of digital nomads there. Mm -hmm. So tech freelancers that just work from there because it's cheap and there's internet. Yeah. Um, so we knew there would be a community where we could like meet a lot of engineers, meet a lot of designers, and it's, it's just cheap to live there. So we can't afford to say, I'm taking a year off to try something out and I'm gonna live from there. Um, so that's what we did, yeah. And where, uh, where specifically in Asia? So it was in Bali, okay. Indonesia. And why Bali? Uh, Again, co-working spaces thing. there are really cool. Um, we had not been there specifically. We had been in Southeast Asia. And again, super cheap to live there. And also, we wanted this not to be a side project that we would kind of, that could slowly die because you have friends, family, uh, a bunch of other things you're doing. So we wanted to make sure we would commit. So the idea of being at the outer end of the world and like the definition of giving up for us was a plane ticket that's super expensive and a like 48-hour trip home. It felt like it was very clear. If we were giving up, we knew that we were giving up. So, so. you got you, you and what's his name? Tim. Tim. And so he's actually he's a he's a Google intern as well this summer. Okay, got it. So yeah. just drop out, go to Asia, and then just go to Google. And then that's go to Google. That's how that's how you do <laughs> so it. So you yeah. and Tim go to Bali to start a startup. A startup. So you get to Bali. Yeah. You land, then you go to your co-working space, and then and then what? And then, well, we thought until we have a proper idea, we're going to work on our skills so and try to kind of brainstorm and stay open to ideas. So he was working on learning to code. I was learning learning to design. So whenever you were, what do you mean when you say learning to design? What were you doing? That's the th and I realized that was not it was not the best strategy. But I was trying to find resources online, okay. reading as much as I could, trying to see, trying to build a curriculum for myself. Um, and then we found the idea one week in. So it was very, it's kind of crazy that we found an idea right away. And that's the idea that we kept for, for the whole year. So we built a startup off that idea of like one week in being in Bali. And what so, was that idea? So we noticed that there are a lot of expatriates in Southeast Asia and in Bali specifically. And Amazon. What is, what is an ex expatriate? Oh, expatriate is someone that's not living in their, in their country, mm -hmm. that's working and living from an, a different country. It could be anywhere in the world that's not your, your home. Country. So would you and Tim be considered expatriates? We were not. We were more like travelers. We were there for a year. I'm guessing if so, someone so really decides you have to the settle, to say. okay, exactly. Um, so and there are a lot of people from Australia, from America, from Europe that live in Southeast Asia as expatriates. So they raise their children there. They work from there. They're freelancers. There's like millions of people that do that. And we saw that was like a big pool of users already of people that had one need that we identified was. Amazon doesn't ship there. And to Bali? Yeah, or okay. to like Southeast Asia, a lot of countries, especially a couple years ago. But now I think maybe they ship. But when we were there, they didn't. And people just could get anything. 
so they were living their lives there and there are so many things that they needed we were we would overhear a bunch of conversations all the time of people trying to find ways to get stuff and we were thinking at the same time all those locations are very much touristy mm -hmm. and have a bunch of people coming in from those western countries and so why don't we disconnect the two people um, and tell the traveler hey just go buy this perfume before you you come in and you'll get a uh, a commission. So people would bring goods that other people wanted to yeah. that country. Is it more of like by coincidence they're passing by or it's by intention that they would like be there to give that object? Oh, uh, not to give it. They're uh -huh. like, they're traveling and they're, they're looking for an extra way to make money as they're traveling. They have extra oh, space in their okay. bag. I can buy a couple of small things that people need and then I'll just give it to them at the airport for whatever. You can make a hundred bucks doing that, you know, so and this is that legal. was the idea. Yeah, it was stuff that people bought. Okay. So it was never like go pick this like up at my if house. There's like, if there's some like American candy that I want to bring that someone yeah. over there really wants, and I'm already traveling there. Yeah. I, I would get money off that exchange. Exactly. You would just go buy it yourself and then get money. And our website, the idea was that we were holding the money in between and kind of managing the whole transaction. So very much surfing the whole um, sharing economy yeah. wave. Yeah. So you designed this product from scratch. Exactly, yeah. And what was it called? It was called, initially, and that was a much better name, it was called Bringers, okay. which made sense. But for legal reasons, because there are other companies that were called that way, we had to change it for a horrible name, looking back. It's called Envoyers. Envoyers, so, okay. Yeah, yeah. And so what happened to it? Um, so well, how did you grow it, I should ask before? How did we grow yeah. it? Okay. Um, we, we definitely hacked our way around. So we, we decided to just create a landing page first and then share that to all of the expatriate Facebook page that we could find um, to so get signed up. Using, just using Facebook pages? Just using Facebook pages, we, which is funny because that's what you're working yeah. on. <laughs> yeah, so it really helped. It was great. <laughs> it's all good. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> there you go. And um, it was, yeah, we would do that. We did that for weeks every day just because there are many pages of expatriates around okay. the world uh, and we would ask for feedback to see if that was even something people wanted um, so you were testing early on very early on yeah very much it was just a landing page with like a very basic branding and the, the, the like the main idea of what it is and then a nice little message of here we're expatriates um, we thought about this idea if you want to sign up it's going to come out soon and then people did sign up and we got so much feedback as well on what was wrong with the idea? What did people need clarification on? Like the legal, yeah, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Oh, is it going to be drugs? Um, so that was really cool. We we grew up to like a couple thousand users before having a product. Wow. Before I had started designing. So like expatriates were just like, oh, this is cool. Let me just like sign up. Yeah. Just sign put up. my email in another yet another place. Yeah. So then what did you do? You got all these emails, mm -hmm. and then what did you do with them? Um, well, then we had to actually build it. So <laughs> that was the next step, right? Uh, and we we hired, uh, we got like a third co-founder to join us from New York, actually, that we didn't know. We put it on AngelList, I think, the posting, because yeah, we yeah. needed someone that had more strong technical uh, skills, so okay. an actual engineer. And he flew from New York to Thailand. At that point, we were in Thailand, so we moved we moved around a little bit. Just casually, okay. Yeah, if you're in Asia, I mean, yeah, you know, you we're traveling around, at the yeah. same time a little bit. Um, and he came to help us build it. Mm -hmm. And around the same time, we actually also got into an accelerator in oh. Singapore. So, um, so that was really that was our goal was not to just build it on our own. We wanted also to get some kind of mentorship yeah, and, and money, obviously that comes so with it. So, whenever you applied, what was the accelerator called? 
JFDI. And what is you have to apply to it or pitch to them or how do yeah. you Yeah, we applied. Um, we did from Bali. It's very like Singapore and Bali. Pretty. Yep. It's like an hour flight. So we went to visit them as well. And we were way underskilled to everyone else that was applying. And we had less users. Our idea was a lot more questionable of like a bunch of concerns. But because we started talking to them so early mm -hmm. and like they saw us process and, and like progress, I mean, um, through the whole thing and getting more users and then starting to build and getting a co-founder, seeing that, that kind of convinced them that, oh, we had potential. So we actually got into the batch just because we were always updating oh, wow. them, yeah. So just being in touch helped you get into this accelerator? Definitely, yeah. So you get into the accelerator, and then, and then what? And then, and then that's where, when it got a bit more difficult. Um, well, it got difficult when you got into the accelerator. Yeah, you would think it's the yeah, opposite. Yeah, it's supposed to be the opposite, yeah. Yeah, but at that point, it, it got a lot more real, and it was about like making decisions of mm. how, how involved were we going to be in this. Initially, we left from Montreal, and we are like, we're just trying to learn as much as possible. Yeah. Starting a startup, we'll see how far it gets us. And then we had, not only we were in an accelerator, but we had an angel investor as well. Um, so it was very real, like it got very real. And there were a lot of questions that we were asking around like where the business could actually go. Mm -hmm. Now we were really thinking numbers and in, um, how, like if it, is it even feasible? How big can it be? Does it make sense? Will we make money out of this? Um, so we start, but as we were building it, so we had a near final, it was almost fully built. We were a couple days from launching. We had a, a lot of users just waiting for the product. And because of all those accelerator questions of like, how are you gonna raise money? Are you gonna make enough money with this? We decided to pivot literally 24 hours before the launch. Classic startup. So what? Crazy things to another idea that we had um, because we realized there were limitations and then we, we decided to pivot uh, and maybe start working on something else. Demo day was still in like a couple weeks away, so we thought maybe if we try something else. Um, so that's a whole other story of like, Wait, pivoting. Why, did, yeah. why would you pivot from a product that has so many users and so much money behind yeah. it? Well, that's the thing is being, sometimes that's what's kind of negative with being in an accelerator um, or, or being like, very much deep into a world that has like all those all those people telling you advice like it was really what it was like the accelerators like so many people telling you what to do and what to think about and we started kind of forgetting about what we had built and thinking more no, about like, like really big yeah. yeah exactly and how how can we raise money how can we raise this much um and talking to investors as well some people were questioning like a long term would this business work etc so it was that was super interesting though that experience but we ended up um yeah, pivoting, and then we ended up just merging with a competitor. The startup that we had actually, because we had built something and we had users, yeah. we said, oh, well, you know, just so investors and everyone's happy and we can be happy with, like, finishing this step, we're just going to merge it with a competitor, which still exists. So that the users ended up, like, getting so, a service, at least, yeah. So you merged it with another startup and then you just you went back home? And then that was it. And then, yeah, because we realized at that point, and that's kind of what's important, is that we realized that we had so much more to learn that we wanted, like we realized the most um, successful startup founders, they're very smart, they're very wise, and they have valuable insight on something and strong technical skills. And we, thought, we felt like we wanted to learn more before doing it again. And um, 
yeah, so that's why at that point we were like, maybe we should go to school and maybe we should look at what startups that are four years old, how do they operate and mm -hmm. do things like that before starting a startup again. So how, do you, looking back, do you think you would do it again? Like drop out, convince another guy to drop out, go to Asia and start a startup, merge it and then come home? A hundred percent. That sounds great, actually. <laughs> it's when we were doing it that yeah, it was pretty rough. Fun. But yeah. now I'm very, it was a, such a valuable experience for me opened so many doors when I came back to Montreal, made me, differentiated me from, from other people when I'm applying for jobs. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's just a cool, it's a cool story to how tell. How did you convince like your family that, to do this? Yeah. Because I assume like other students who might have like cultural barriers and whatnot. Yeah. My parents might not be down for them to drop out go to Asia. I mean, it depends on the parents you have. Yeah, that's, that's like true. something, yeah. for sure some people have more, probably more pressure or less kind of room to yeah. play with, but I think an important skill to have as a designer and as a, as a person in general is to be able to make convincing arguments and sell. So, so sell this thing to your parents. Yeah, and sell yeah. crazy ideas. I think that's, that's super important, an important skill to have. So I think before I left, although my parents had doubt, I had sold them so well to what I was <laughs> so doing like, and no, why I was doing it. Fine. They almost believed in it more than me at that point, you know. So I think. Having that skill is important, and if you're not able to sell it to people, maybe also the idea, like it's whether it's your communication skills or maybe the idea is actually not good. Like you don't always know yeah. what's best for you. Um, yeah, so that's how I convinced my parents was just a really nice pitch. And my friend convincing him was, well, he knew me super well. We had, so my friend that left with me to Asia, we were really close friends. We had very similar aspirations, mm -hmm. uh, going in the same direction in terms of career. So. I feel like when someone offers you like this crazy idea and yeah. you're both on the same kind of on the same path, he definitely took the opportunity because why not? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So now you do go to school and you go yeah. to Emily Carr. Yeah. What made you want to go to school and what made you want to go to school for design specifically? Yeah. Um, I did a boot camp while I was in Asia because I realized I couldn't learn on my own. So mm -hmm. I did a boot camp where I learned really the like skills to create UX and what were what, what do they teach you? Uh, it was very portfolio oriented. So okay. right away, like starting to build things and design things, which it was really great. And it was mentor led. So that was great. But it was very much task oriented, the creating designs. And this is like create like an illustration and, and sketch like that would be like a task or what's an example of a task? Yeah, we had we had like five projects, I think. So, and right away, it was real apps. Like right away, you need to design an app, even though you don't know how to use sketch. You're learning it and you're designing it mm -hmm. at the same time. So very fast-paced. It was really great. But I realized it was very much skills-oriented and not necessarily thinking-oriented. Like product thinking, yeah. Yeah, and I wanted to get a wider understanding of design, not necessarily just UX, just understand fundamentals outside of UX even, and then bring them back into my practice. So I felt like it was worth taking a couple of years to just get that better understanding. And refining yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. So let's say you didn't go to school for art and design. What steps would you do to create your own curriculum for yourself? Mm. And I think you've somewhat done, done that. Yeah. So I started by trying to do it on my own. Yeah. So I tried to, to, to learn on my own. But I pretty quickly, I was like, I was honest with myself that this is not how I learn best. I can't be on my own learning, not have support or competition or just some kind of environment. Yeah. I realized it just didn't work for me. It works for some people, but I was kind of honest with myself about that. And then the boot camp was really great. So that I would recommend, definitely a boot camp. Um, and otherwise, I guess bias towards 
action to like making stuff. Like mm -hmm. if I had to build a curriculum now, if I had not went to school, I would just try to get all the opportunities I have to design more and design a wide range of things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So now I'd like to talk about your career or professional exposure. So to start off, how did you get your first uh, opportunity or internship and what did you do to stand out at that phase? Mm. Well, Google is my first internship, okay. which is kind of crazy. But um, before that, I had work experience. So after Asia, we came back. And then I wanted to see what it was like to work at a startup that, that actually did well. Like what would happen? That actually worked. Yeah, it like if, if you push through exactly <laughs> yeah, yeah, what yeah. happens. And, um, and so I worked there not as a designer, though. I worked there as a customer support associate just because I wanted to get into there. It's like a 50-person startup. What was this startup. called? Uh, Buzzbud. So you, so you came in as a customer support with the intention to do design. To do, but you like actually, back, backdooring your way into. Kind of. Okay. I was, I was like, okay, I don't have that much experience in design itself. I love, I still love startups. Like I'm yeah. still really curious about how startups that work well that push through. What does that look like? So it's kind of semi being a spy in a startup, and also, I knew that as a customer support, um, I would be in direct, like always talking to users. Getting yeah. the emails, and I would see exactly everything that's wrong with the product, and then I could communicate that design. So it kind of made sense for me, even though it was not, it was just an easier way to get into all of that because I probably could not have gotten there as a designer, um, as such a junior designer. So you yeah. basically were uncovering, you were doing the work that designers are supposed to do, but you were getting, you were like the barrier to entry for them because you exactly. get the customer support and then you would delay, uh, relay that information to them. Yeah, and then I did that for. Uh, for a couple months, and then after a couple months, I was starting to see patterns, and then I could really kind of relay insights. And I got the opportunity to make um, like a voice and tone guide. So that was really much UX, oh, okay, like to yeah. create a, a guide as to how we should talk to users on on the website and in emails and on social media. So mm -hmm. that was such a big project to get, and that's kind of the plus side of working at a startup where you can have those initiatives. Yeah. Um, and then a big thing that happened for me was that I made a talk. I did a talk about the whole, the whole startup thing mm -hmm. um, at Spotify. There was like a Dribble meetup, and oh, okay. I gave a talk about the whole story. And then one of the startups that I admired the, mo the most at uh, in Montreal, one of the senior designers was there. Okay. So she came to talk to me because and what was the startup? She uh, breather. Breather. What yeah, I've seen ads of them actually in New York. Um, it's to rent. Workspaces. Oh yeah, I saw it on the subway. Yeah, 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 they rent workspaces. Oh, okay. Yeah. I was like, this is like a WeWork on steroids. Like, yeah, and it looks their spaces are so nice. I really yeah. recommend. Yeah, so it's a super cool, uh, very design-oriented, uh, design-driven startup. So I was super excited that 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 designer was even there for my talk. Yeah, and then it was such a good pitch for because she saw everything I had done, and then she said, "Well, we're looking for designers at at Breather." Uh, you should definitely like come by. We can see if we can work on a project. So that was like again, those were two ways that I kind of hacked my way, I guess, into a design job was yeah. to get in as a customer support, which is the lowest that you can be, but then do the job of a designer, and then do a talk where a lot of people from the design community they were all there, they heard my story, and then they came to talk to me. So it was a lot easier than me reaching Going out to out them. There. Yeah. Yeah. So then you, you worked at both these startups. Yeah. And then what did you do? How did you build up from that? And then I knew that I wanted to do school. And it, it started to feel like, OK, I'm so close to getting full-time opportunities. 
Um, I knew that my skills were not that high. I, I was on the edge of getting offers for boats, and then at the last minute, I got no offers from, for boats. When I was, I uh, thought I would decide between the two, which like which one I would be a designer at. Yeah. And then at the last minute, they were like, "Oh, I think we're looking for more senior." And I'm so happy. Although it was really tough on like on the spot. Yeah. I was of like, course. wow. I was I was expecting to have to pick between the two, and yeah. then they're both gone. It was the best thing that could have happened because otherwise, I would never went to school probably. Mm -hmm. And now I really, really value that I'm at school. So I was happy with that. But that was definitely managing those two rejection was a really big like part of my you, what journey. What did you do to cope with that? Like after yeah. working so hard to do to get to both and working very hard at both. Yeah. And then assuming you would get offers from both. Yeah. Well, I was I was happy to be there and I was happy with the experience I I had gotten. And I knew that I had been a designer for not even a year, for a year and a half, well, year, year and a half through a boot camp. So I knew that, you know, I had more to learn. And startups, they can't really invest in junior talent. Yeah, of course. That yeah. makes sense. Um, so I knew that there was a whole rationale behind it that was not necessarily like personal. Yeah, of course. But it was definitely hard. Like, it really took me to say, okay, I'm going to, I decided to apply to Emily Carr, which is at the other end of the country. And I was like, I'm going to really start fresh. Canada and, uh, being the country, right? Canada okay. being the country. Yeah, I was in Montreal and then moved to Vancouver because it's such, it was a really good school. So I thought, if I'm going to do school, at least I'll do it well mm -hmm. and in a, a different place. So that's more exciting. Um, so that's kind of how I co put it was I transitioned into, into school. And I yeah. saw it as an opportunity that I would not have had mm -hmm. if I had had the job. Probably wouldn't have went to school. And now I'm happy because I'm at Google. So, so you, after you went to school, you applied to Google. Yeah. Uh, and what was that interview process like, or what did they expect from you? Mm, that was um, that was actually really great. I, to be honest, I would never have applied to Google because I was just doing my first year of university. Yeah. And to me, just just Google, it didn't seem like it was even possible. But my friend, who I started the business with, he um, he applied to be an APM intern, and that's in the fall. Design is in January that yeah, you apply yeah, for yeah, internships. Yeah. So there are two different times. He applied. I thought it was kind of crazy that he was applying. And I saw the whole process that he was getting to interviews. I was like, wow, OK. And we, we're very similar. We have the same background. Mm, yeah. um, and then he actually got the job offer. And I was like, OK, well, then maybe like, it's more accessible I yeah. than I thought. You know? And also competition. I was, I was, if he got in, uh, I have to get in. There's yeah, no way out, because yeah, yeah. we have the same path so far. He can't like, get too ahead. Um, so, I, so I just applied in January. And the process was fairly fairly quick. Um, there, it's like host matching, things like that. Yeah. It was very smooth, very great, very what quick. What did they think of your story? Or how did yeah. you? How did you? So in the beginning of our, our conversation, you mentioned that mm. the designer's ability to sell can get them a very long way. Yeah. So how did you sell them on your story as like a first semester student? Yeah. With. I don't think they knew I was a first semester student, so maybe that I <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mention. But I had my portfolio. Yeah. I had. I really thought about what they were looking for. So they are looking for interesting stories, that's for sure. But they're also looking for people who put their skills into action. So having worked in like real startups with engineers, having had my own company, I think that they appreciated that not only did I have the skills, but that I had put them into practice rather than just do a curriculum. Mm -hmm. So that's and probably how I sold it. Yeah. And so next week is your last week at Google. So I feel like you yeah. have a, a, an idea of how the organization works. Yeah. So what were the main differences between the sizes of these successful startups in Montreal yeah. and Google uh, and the trade-offs between both? Yeah. Well, and it could be very different from one big tech company to another and from one startup to another.
But from my experience, what I really appreciate at Google is the space to learn, and especially talking from the standpoint of a junior designer. Mm -hmm. Having the space to learn, so to go really deep into design problems, um, to have more time to, to, you know, to meet people, to do all of that, I feel like big companies are really built for that. They support your learning. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas startups, I mean, they're growing so fast. It's a lot more about execution. So you'll probably get, in a startup, you'll probably get to work on a lot more things and mm -hmm. like deliver a bunch of things. But will you go very deep into them? Probably not. So it's very trade-offs between the two because they're both relevant. Mm -hmm. But I really see a big difference. And at this point, I really like the idea of having space to learn. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you, you like the trajectory of going from very small to bigger and bigger and bigger, rather than going like, in terms of company mm. size? I did, although it was probably not the right way around because you know, getting like that rejection came from that from the fact that I didn't have space to learn in those companies. Oh, okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like if I had been a little bit more, if I did Google first, I have space to learn there. Well, I get really good, go small, and then I go small. to startups, and I can actually just perform and be senior enough to be there. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So you went through two internships, and now a third at Google. Uh, just one internship, yeah. Or you worked at two startups and then one oh, internship. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what would you recommend to students who maybe are in their very first design internship, mm. or they're looking to go to a big tech company or a, a smaller company that's very yeah. focused on design? Um, I would say differentiate yourself from other students. I, I feel like a lot of people have very similar uh, portfolios, very similar things that they're working on. So if you're interested in something that's kind of more niche, whether it's VR or data visualization, even if it's just a couple projects that you did that are not just mobile or web, that can be very interesting. Um, showing that you're able to work on different things, that you're not just iOS yeah. um, designer. So that's definitely something. Otherwise, yeah, again, like I think it's important to create a story for yourself as mm -hmm. well. And that would definitely help get into companies because they want an interesting person to yeah. join their team, like talented, but also that has an interesting background, yeah. So we went ahead and polled most of the student design groups on Twitter, Medium, and Facebook, and mm. here are some of the questions that they had. So we want to ask every single guest, uh, and they're all rapid fire. Okay. So the first one is, having the experience that you have, there must be some things you feel that the industry doesn't quite get about the student design community. Can you yeah. speak a little bit about that, or what, do you, what are your thoughts around that? Yeah, I feel like one thing that happens a lot with design students is that there's some people are at Google, at Facebook, at all those great companies, spending their summer doing that. And some people have trouble just finding opportunity. So I think there's a very big gap between like very high performers. And it, I'm not sure if it has to do with portfolio that much and the rest of the, the, rest of the community. So that's definitely something. Um, and not so much for the industry, but for students, I would say that they should know that there's a gap. And they should know that it doesn't mean they're stuck on that side forever yeah. and that there is like I said I had rejection um, so many people do and that it, knowing that it's a part of the process that like some people get to really cool jobs early but other people it just takes a couple more years but like keeping on pushing through and knowing that it will happen but that there is there's definitely like we don't get there all at the same time yeah, so yeah. what do you think like people in the industry could do better to help reduce that gap between yeah. like high-performing students and maybe students who just got lucky or like at a school that positions themselves to get to those certain opportunities. Yeah, I feel like maybe those companies are up, should come a little bit more, at maybe be more accessible outside of 
places where we, we expect them to be. Mm -hmm. So often people will get in by references. So it's, it can get kind of networky. Yeah. And if they could kind of get out of that, maybe that would help people that don't have a friend that works at Facebook or don't have a friend that um, work at Google still get into those positions and maybe just start a conversation with them, not necessarily get in, but yeah. like start a conversation as to what should I work on. Um, so have more contact with all students, not necessarily those that are already connected. Yeah. And so you have a lot to manage between school and life and then trying mm -hmm. to be like a full-time designer at the same time. So yeah. how do you stay on top of everything? I feel like doing what you love helps a lot. Um, because I do spend a lot of time working, but I feel like when you're doing what you like and also growing older a little bit and being able to get things done, yeah. that helps. So that's the main thing for me that I see, a difference versus years ago when I also had a lot on my plate but had a lot more trouble actually getting things done. Um, so there's that. But there's also accepting that it's a lot of work and knowing that it comes in like blocks of times that are just crazy for three months while you're at school. It's going to yeah. be crazy, but it's but knowing that it's worth it. So this semester for a while I was I, I was working very hard and I thought, is it worth it? Does it make sense to work so hard? And then sometimes it doesn't pay off right away, but it Other pays off later and it did yeah. pay off later for me. And I was so glad that I had put all the work. So knowing that as well is pretty important, yeah. So there's so many articles, blogs, newsletters, and a lot of noise in the industry. So yeah. how do you filter out what's good or how, what do you do to like stay on top of things? Yeah. I. Initially, more I used to try to stay on top of everything and read a lot of just general UX articles. But now what I've started to do to kind of filter them down is just read things that are more relevant to me. Like, I'm really interested in data visualization and VR. So I'll read articles that are much more tailored that are about this, um, which filters out all the rest. And it gets really more interesting. And then you can just bring it back to your practice, like whatever you're learning through mm -hmm. those articles. Um, so that really helps to have a couple people that are working on more specific things that I'm following. Yeah. Do you have any mentors that you follow to stay inspired or any resources that act as pseudo mentors like websites, um, places to keep you hungry? Yeah. One thing that maybe is different from being on the web, I like to read a lot of books and that keeps me hungry because... Design books or nonfiction books or what kind of books? Nonfiction, design or psychology okay. or you know, things that are not necessarily UX design, but other design. I feel like it's so interesting to read those and then do your connection yourself between mm -hmm. the two and then learn things that are truly, that feel new. Mm -hmm. So that's my number one resource is probably books. Um, I love to do that. That's what I ask everyone I meet. Um, it's like, what book do they recommend, whether it's design or not? And other than that, a couple people that I like that are not really UX, well, I mean, I like Manuel Lima, if you know. No. So data visualization, he has a couple okay. books on visual complexity, stuff like that. And I learned he worked at Google. The first week I was there, I was, I'm a big out. fan of him, <laughs> and then I learned he works there in the same team, almost. So, uh, And Georgia Lupi, also about data. So if people are interested, those are very interested, uh, very interesting people, yeah. So as a design leader on campus, I'm sure people will come up and ask you how to get into design. So are there any pieces of immediate actionable advice that you give to someone listening to you now? Yeah, uh, there would be two things. So first of all, find a mentor if you can. Uh, so someone that's in design already, that's maybe a little bit like more in, um, in the industry already that you mm -hmm. can find. Or um, otherwise, if you can find some kind of accountability buddy, like someone yeah. that's also at the same stage as you 
that's trying to learn, that definitely helped. That made such a big difference for me to have Tim, Tim yeah. my co-founder, uh, it made all the difference. So that would be one thing. And then the second thing would be having a bias towards action. So reading is cool, talking to people is cool, but just try to do as many projects as you can. Not necessarily optimizing for quality, but optimizing for like how many things you're doing and always, yeah, bias towards action is very important to me. Um, so you talked about what you've done and how you've gotten there. So yeah. what is next for you? Oh, um, so for the first time in a long time, I know what's coming up for the next two years because before going, going school, to, yeah. yeah. So it's a weird position to be in to be like, well, I'm at school for two years, uh, another internship next summer. Um, we'll see where that internship is. So many cool opportunities. And then, so that's short term. And then long term, I'm hoping to get some experience um, at companies and eventually start another company or work on something that's maybe more um, outside of big tech. But we'll see. I really enjoy working at Google. I enjoy seeing what's happening at other companies. So I really keep it open. Mm -hmm. But it's still in the back of my mind that I do like entrepreneurship. So that might be in the cards. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks so much. Students Who Design is written and produced by Sahil Koja and Omar Abdul-Rahim. Visit our website, studentswho.design, for more information.